Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning and welcome to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan and I'm the pastor here. We're currently in a series called To the Holy and Faithful, where we're working through Paul's letter to this little church in Colossae um, in Turkey. Very young church, dynamic church. It's full of a a grand mix of people, but the, the struggle that Paul was finding in this church is that they're beginning to, uh, to listen to other voices that are telling them, yes, there's Jesus plus this other thing. There's Jesus plus Jewish religiosity. There's Jesus plus Greek philosophy or whatever it might be. And they're kind of a lot like us today. They're, they're, they're compounded um, with all of these different competing philosophies and religions that are seeking to take their attention away from Jesus, that Jesus before long is no longer the central truth of their faith. And so Paul is writing to them to say, no, no, let's gather back into the center of what we believe as Christians, as little Christs, and let's use that as the filter that we understand everything else in the world that would compete for our attention. And so um, at the beginning of this passage, we are in this series, we looked at uh, Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20. We know this is a, a beautiful Christ hymn that kind of speaks of the supremacy of Christ, that he holds the whole thing together in him, everything was made. We kind of moved on from there to see, okay, so because this is who Christ is, this is the response that is asked of us. This is how we locate ourselves in God's story because of what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Um, And then Jonathan helped us to look at Paul's story within that. He's saying, because of that truth, this is why I'm contending for you. And really, Paul was giving us the template to say, this is what it means to be part of the body. If we really believe that Jesus is the beautiful center of God's story, then that excites us to become part of his body. And then last week, we were looking, Paul's beginning to get a little bit more particular and practical in the sense that he's saying, watch out for some of these hollow and deceptive philosophies is the language that he uses. That we can often find ourselves drifting towards either legalism, where it's all about our behavior and, and looking for the rules and the regulations to tell us how to be good, how to be safe, how to belong. But at the other end of the extreme, kind of, to, to live into this sensationalist faith where it's all about welling us up within ourselves these wild experiences that we're expecting to carry us from moment to moment. He's saying, if you find yourself in either of the extremes, you're probably in trouble because in, in that's the place of self-righteousness where in, it's more about you and your experience and your behavior than it is about following Jesus. And so we're carrying on with that today, um, looking at Colossians chapter three. And this is kind of my thesis for today. To be Christian is not simply about behavior management, but to be shaped from the inside out as a person of virtue. And I think this has kind of been underneath the surface of a lot of what we've already been looking at in Paul's letter to the Colossians. That he's saying, you you need to understand it's not about behavior modification. And that's what a lot of us have experienced Christianity as being. A, A new series of rules and regulations and do not touch, do not taste, these kinds of things floating in the ether that we just have to kind of memorize all the rules. Um, and then that's what makes us Christians. 
But Paul is actually contending for something far deeper. It's not this surface behavior management, but there's something that happens within us, this creative co-conspiring with the spirit of Jesus within each one of us that transforms us from the inside out, and this is what we actually call virtue. So I'm gonna pray, and we'll jump right into this. So Heavenly Father, uh, we do testify to the truth that you are here and that you're with us, that you are for us, you are not against us. And even as for many of us here, here means that we're, we're online, uh, we're in our homes, we're in, in our apartments. Perhaps we're with friends, perhaps we're alone, but still, you are here. It's the central truth of what you've offered us to understand you by, Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we're gonna be looking at some very difficult topics today topics that maybe make us feel ashamed, they make us feel guilty, but praise be to God that we are not guided by our feelings, that by your spirit, our feelings, our information to be read, to be understood, to know what's happening within us so that we can offer these things to you and ask you to move within our stories to take us by the hand, to work us through the shame and the guilt and the regret or the anxiety or the despair, whatever it might be, and somehow to turn that into joy because we find ourselves in your presence. We find ourselves opened up and free. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So there was a story on uh, May 2nd. So this is, a, this is a recent story. There was a car accident on a bridge uh, called the, the Asselwoman Bridge in Maryland, which is just a great name because I get to say Asselwoman in church, which is so funny to me. I assume it's some sort of Native American word. But there was a, there was a car accident on top of this bridge, uh, and this truck got flipped over. And it's crazy. You can see pictures of it. It's kind of like the truck is like folded over the barrier on the edge of this bridge. And this, uh, this, this, uh, this gentleman, uh, Jonathan Bauer and his teenage daughter, they're driving along and they stop, they find this accident, they get out to see everybody's okay. And then they notice in the water, um, there's a toddler and she's still in her, her seat. And she had been kind of catapulted out of the passenger side of this truck. And she's kind of floating on her back, her little pink dress kind of floating. And he's, everybody starts freaking out. And then they notice all of a sudden the, the chair flips over and she's upside down. And Jonathan's afraid of heights, but without thinking a moment, he jumps 40 feet into the water and he grabs her and he gets her out of the seat, lifts her up out of that. And there was um, some people on a boat nearby that came by, um, grabbed Jonathan, grabbed this little girl got them back to the shore. Immediately there were paramedics there and they were able to save this little girl's life. And Jonathan kind of slinked away because he didn't really want all of the attention that was going to come from it. So when they began to report this story, um, it was just like there's some sort of you know, unknown hero. We don't know who this person is. Um, but before long, his community wanted to come alongside of him and kind of champion him for who he really was. And, and when they talked to him about it after, he was a little bit reluctant for the attention, but he just, he said that he knew it was what he needed to do in that moment. And I love this story because I think it demonstrates what we're talking about here, that our life's pursuit as followers of Jesus isn't just about behavior management. It's not about memorizing rules and regulations, but it's being formed in a certain way where the things that are inherently at the beginning of our Christian journeys unnatural to us, because if we're honest, there's a lot of the tenets of Christianity that feel unnatural and uncomfortable 
work their way into us and become what we would call second nature. And that's what we're talking about with virtue. It's when there's a certain kind of moral quality that we possess that becomes second nature. So when we enter into the unknown of life, we don't need to reach for the rule book. We just kind of inherently know what to do. And that's what Paul is really trying to encourage the church in Colossae to take upon themselves, to recognize that they already have the spirit of Jesus. They've already been saved into his family, but something is happening within them where it's being worked from the inside out to form them to be the kind of people that radiate the personality, the character of Jesus more and more day by day. And so I'm going to break it down here, um, and we're going to look at a couple portions of this, of this chapter, Colossians chapter 3. So I want to begin. This is Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Paul writes, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I like to really use this passage when I teach people how to read the Bible. Um, when we're looking at it as literature and we're even doing something, this is like, go back to like, ten, you can leave that up actually. When you go back to like 10th grade English and you're like, look at the tenses, okay? Is this past tense? Is it present tense? Is it future tense? This is a really good passage because it says, since then, you have been raised by Christ. So that's a past reality. So you right here, if you, if, if you are allegiant to King Jesus, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you have been raised by Christ. That's a past reality. You don't need to do it again. This is why I'm very passionate about not re-baptizing people. It's already happened, you didn't get it, you didn't understand it, and you certainly don't see the reality of that in your day-to-day -day life, and that's okay. But you have been raised by Christ. That is already a truth that is deep within you that is gradually working its way out. And so because of what has happened in the past, what is our present mandate? Set our heart on things above and to set our minds on things above. So our faith is a gift that we have received, right? It's the faithfulness of Jesus to save us that we have received. And now we respond to his faithfulness with our own. And that's our allegiance. And I love that Paul says first that you set your heart on things above, and then he says set your mind on things above. And so what we're talking about here is the, is the retraining of the aspects of our personality. What, what does Paul mean with heart? Anytime you come across heart in Scripture, it just means like your core foundational desires, okay? Set your desires on things above. And we see this time and again. It's one of the brilliances of, of the ancient world. I think they understood this maybe better than we do. We like to think that we're logical first. Like I worked something out and then that's going to tell me how to feel and what to want. And that's not true. As human beings, we're desire-based creatures. Our desires actually dictate how we think. Our desires actually dictate our logic. So because of what we want or what we desire on a very deep level, we might call it our will. Our will actually shapes. We'll, we'll actually think in ways to justify what we want. You see, because we're story-based creatures. We're not logic-based creatures. And so what Paul is saying, you have to set your heart on Christ. You have to actually allow your desires to be conformed by intimacy with him. And we see this in the Psalms where it says, um, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's when we actually train ourselves through worship 
It transforms our desires, our will, our values, the things that we want out of life. Those are the things that God begins to give us. So it's not like, oh, well, I'll do the rain dance, I'll give God his due, and then he'll give me the thing that I actually want. No, no, the things that we want get shaped because we worship him. Now, I think this is very important. It says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This is not kind of a Gnostic dualism that we've talked about a lot of times where, you know, sometimes we think, oh, like the spiritual reality, that's good, and the physical reality, that's bad. This is what happens a lot of times within Christianity for 2,000 years. We think about that. It's like the spiritual reality is like, I don't know, like your afterlife and maybe your heart. Um, those are the things that God has opinions on. And then there's the physical thing, like your, your body, and that's gross, and creation, and that's kind of worthless, and, you know, all these other physical things. Like, those are all burning up, and they're going away, and they don't really matter. That's not what, that's not the worldview of Paul, because he actually saw these things as very integrated. And what, is, what he really means by that, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, is that we have to set our minds on characteristics that reflect the creator in his own creation instead of creation being left to its own self-destructive devices. That's what he means. It's when heaven invades earth, heaven is woven into the physical reality. We see all of creation gathered up and redeemed and restored, okay? So it's not that God has an opinion and desire for all of these spiritual things and there's these non-spiritual things that's, that's false thinking. That actually comes from Greek philosophy. It's everything is, is impregnated with the possibility of God being present in it. And as we work that out, it blesses the physical world. It blesses our bodies. It blesses creation. And all of those things become beautiful because they begin to reflect the reality of who God really is. And so I love, like I said, the tenses. You've, you've been raised with Christ, but now there's a response that comes by setting your mind on things above, setting your heart on things above, focusing on heavenly things. And again, past tense, you died, you already died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I think about what that means. It's to me, it's kind of like citizenship. Are there any non-naturalized American citizens in here? It's me, my mom, Everybody else born and bred American? What is it, a, you know, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God? How many of you are Southern? God bless you. So we moved to this country when I was five. Um, and I was, you know, little guy trying to figure it out. And, and it was in, it's very interesting moving from one English-speaking country to another because everything feels kind of familiar, but not quite. It would have been quite different if we had moved to like Africa or Asia. There's, a, there's an obvious difference in language. And especially when you're five, you're trying to reconcile this. And I, I remember being little and it was just all these little nuances of things that were different. Like mom and I were talking about this week, like even light switches flip the opposite way in the United Kingdom. So here you would flip a switch up to turn it on. There you'd switch down. Um, I had to learn how to, to come up to a crosswalk and look the opposite direction from what you would do here because traffic is different. Maybe some of you know the, the, the famous story of Winston Churchill's first visit to New York City and he looked the wrong way crossing the street and got hit by a car and broke his leg. So there's all these little, there's little language nuances, things that I didn't understand. And of course, because children are ruthless, I got made fun of every time I used the wrong word, you know? And, 
And it, what I recognized in myself much later on, some of the work that the Lord was doing within me a couple years ago, as I was working through my own story, is this, this feeling of being an immigrant is kind of like you're three feet to the right of where you're supposed to be. Like everything looks similar and it's very close to what you know, but it's just not quite right. And I think if it's important to recognize that we're talking about here, because what's happened to all of us is that we've transferred our citizenship from the empire of the world to the kingdom of heaven. It's our new home. But just because we've transferred our citizenship doesn't mean that we understand the language or that we have all the little nuances of what it means to be a citizen. And a lot of times what happens, and tell me if this resonates with you, is that you, you make a mistake in your, in your new cult culture. You use the wrong language or you misbehave or, or something and you go, oh my gosh, I must not actually belong here, right? How many of us, we don't feel like we belong in the kingdom of heaven very often because we, we mess it up? And it, I think the cool thing is, like for us, you know, we, we, we came, we, we moved to Michigan, we were given a green card, you know, we were permanent residents. Even when I made mistakes, it didn't negate the fact that I had already been declared rightfully here. And I think that's true for all of us. And I want to bless you with that. So when he says, since you have been raised with Christ, you've already been declared a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now you're just learning the language and the customs of your new home country. And immigration is not comfortable. And it's, there's a major temptation to believe that you don't belong. But by faith, we receive that as being what is true. And so what Paul is really talking about here then is now that you're here, you're being transformed to live more and more naturally here. And if it's not about behavior modification, it becomes about what we call virtue. It becomes about what we talk about when we talk about ethics or morality. And virtue and ethics are about how we live because of who we really are. And this is the difference between behavior modification and becoming virtuous people. That virtue is like your moral character. It's these, these qualities that have been woven into you that reflect the character of God. And then ethics or morality then are like these principles and decisions, the way by which you decide how are you going to be in the world. But it's more about who you truly are. My therapist this week was telling me this really wonderful story. When uh, his kids were little, he was, um, he was in a room with some other guys at this church, and there was a... There was a um, on the whiteboard in this, this classroom, it just, someone had written, Jesus loves good little boys. And that kind of struck him. He said, why, why? Why did someone write that? Because what it's communicating to kids at a very young age is, Jesus loves you if you're a good little boy, which means, well, Jesus is kind of frustrated with you when you're a bad little boy. And it becomes this behavior mentality, right? This behavior modification. And he realized that he was raising his children in that way too. Like when they would go over to a friend's house, he'd say, okay, have fun, behave. You know, you've got to reflect good on me as, a, as your parent. You need to go and you need to behave. And how often do we do that to one another, right? We think that's what it's about. Make sure that you behave. Make sure you follow the rules. And he said as he realized that, he began to change his parenting technique. And now when his kids would go over to someone's house, they'd say, he'd say, I am so glad that you have the opportunity to go and to spend time with your friends. And I am so glad that you're mine. And the shift for him was moving from behavior modification and management of his children to reminding his children of who they really are and who they actually belong to. And that's the real task ahead of us. 
And like I even mentioned last week, I think it, that's actually harder than just being told how to behave because it puts the onus on us, the responsibility that we need to learn how to think as Christians, how to feel as Christians, how to act. And how many of us have actually, if we're honest, have experienced that within church culture? Perhaps we've been told what to think. We've been told what we're supposed to feel or we're supposed told how to behave, but we haven't been given the skills that kind of exist on that deeper level. But I think it's that learning, that retraining of being a whole and complete human being because of who we are in Christ that's imperative for us to be able to properly identify the hollow and deceptive philosophies that we were talking about last week. And it's important to recognize then when we're talking about ethics and morality, it's not about what is useful. This is a kind of a, a plague in our modern society. We make decisions by we call utilitarianism, which is just what's, what gives me the best outcome? And I'm going to make decisions based on outcomes instead of how am I faithful to the God that's revealed in Jesus and how am I faithful to, to live out the reality of who I truly am on the inside? And so we move from usefulness in our decision-making to faithfulness because if we're honest, as Christians, a lot of times the decisions that we're called to make are not particularly useful ones. They don't have the outcomes that we think we're going to have when it comes to tomorrow. But there's a far deeper call there to a radically different way of being in the world that leaves behind the utilitarian need to make decisions to say, I'm going to be faithful to who I belong to and who I truly am. And so Paul continues and is going to give us a little bit more specificity of what this looks like. And just remember as we're going through, he's going to give us these two lists um, of vices and virtues. Just remember in the back of your head what we looked at last week at the end of that passage where Paul says, so why are you worrying about all of these human-made rules? Do not touch, do not taste. So he's trying to thread the needle here. He's saying, watch out for those rules and regulations, but there are these deeper things that I want to call to your attention to challenge the way you make decisions. So this is Colossians chapter 3, uh, 5 to 14. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, briefly, what do we mean by wrath? This is what I've come to understand wrath, and this is, I believe, profoundly biblical. The wrath of God is not him hurling a lightning bolt at you because you got it wrong, okay? That's Zeus. That's, that's the other guy, okay? The wrath of God means God saying, I love you so much that I'm going to let you do what you want, in hopes that you will turn around and come home to me, okay? So God removes his hand of mercy and he allows the natural consequences of a broken world to take their due course in hopes that we repent and come back to him. How do I know this is what wrath is? Because of the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know that story. The younger son comes to the father, says, give me my inheritance early, which is really to say, I wish you were already dead. And it is the kindness of the father. It is the wrath of the father to go, okay, I think you'd be way happier if you stayed in the house, but I'm going to give you what you desire. And the younger son takes his inheritance, he squanders it, he ends up in the foreign land, and he turns around, he repents, right? He comes home to find his place back in his father's house, and the father re receives him. So whenever we see wrath of God, that's what we're talking about. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, 
since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new sense. Again, pay attention to that tense. This is all past tense stuff, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So there's the present tense bit. Here, talking about the, the kingdom, the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. How many of you, your skin is crawling we're going to talk about lust, we're going to talk about greed, you know? And that's very natural because it's been born into us that at the end of the day, it's just about behavior modification. But I want to give us maybe a different, deeper, more profound lens to understand what Paul's really saying here. And I think this is what's happening. As the Spirit of Jesus is doing something within us, we are learning to see others how God sees them and then to treat them accordingly. This is what's happening. I think this is at the core of virtue and ethics and morality, is that we, as, as God is doing something within us, he's changing the way we think, he's changing our desires, and then he begins to change the way that we see. So we begin to see ourselves differently, and we begin to see other human beings differently. And I think this is so key in understanding what Paul's talking about with these vices, because these, there's two lists of sins here, okay? So some would break it down that there's kind of like sexual sins and then there's like conversational sins or sins of like, uh, you know, how we talk or how we relate to one another. And I think they're probably actually deeper than that. But these sins are specifically about feeding our ego through objectifying other people. This is what I think I, when I talk about lust, this is what I mean. That love is where you're the subject and I am looking to, to elevate you into your, your full humanity. But lust is where I turn you into an object and I consume you for my own personal betterment. Now that might be sexual. That, that lust we often think of in sexual terms. That it's objectifying other people. It's gobbling them up. This is often what we talk about when we look at pornography. or you know, There's a lot of different ways that we can talk about that. But I don't think it's always just sexual when it comes to lust. It's about turning somebody into an object, objectifying them, and then using them to, to, to build ourselves up. And I think that's when we look at this list, really, that's what Paul's talking about. That's the, the underlying thing in these, in these vices is that it's about objectifying other people. It's about consuming other people in an unhealthy way where we refuse to see them as image bearers. We refuse to see other people as the children of God. Now, see, already we're moving away from well, what are the do's and the don'ts and what am I allowed to do? We're not, we're not doing the surfacey bit. We're going, no, 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 do you even see people as people? Because if you can't learn how to see people as people, all the surface dressing of behavior management doesn't matter. And I think if we're honest in the church, there's a lot of people who follow the rules, but they've never actually learned to see people as people. And they're pretty horrible, nasty people who haven't actually been transformed. They're just so obsessed with the rules. And so maybe we don't consume other people, but we certainly don't care about them because it's more about us maintaining our own sense of holiness than it is actually about being the ambassadors of Christ. 
So we talk about with that Pharisaic mentality. I'm doing it right. I'm behaving. I'm you know, following all the rules and everybody else can just go to hell. But to learn how to see people the way that God sees them changes the way that we interact with them. We cannot objectify people any longer. And the reality is, any of us can learn a vice. Vices are easy. It just, it just comes natural to us. You just have to coast on neutral, and you'll find the vices. But you have to learn virtue. It has to be something that you, you enter into with first nature, because it will not come naturally to you. Kindness, compassion, these things are not natural to us necessarily, but we work to train ourselves. We, it's one part us opening our lives to the Spirit of God to do something inside of us, and it's one part us putting forth the effort. I think that's why our, you know, our salvation is always this like co-working with God. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this is what he's talking about. And then in verse 10, he says, you're putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And I love this line because, it's, again, he's reminding us, no, it is this co-laboring with the Holy Spirit and our will, God's will and our will co-mingling. But it's through intimacy with God. Remember when he says knowledge, he's not, not saying know a lot of facts about Jesus. He's saying know, know him, know the Spirit, learn what the Spirit sounds like, what it looks like when the Spirit moves. Pay attention to that in your own life. Pay attention to that through the Spirit, you know, through the Scriptures. Pay attention to that within your community. Get to familiar with the Spirit of Jesus, and that will renew you and help you to be anchored into who you truly are. And so I think to be Christian is to learn how to think. I think for us, Christ, like being a Christian actually requires more thinking than it does like a normal person. You know, whatever you want to a non-believer, whatever you want to talk about. Like wherever you were before you came here, the challenge for you right now is you actually have to learn how to think better. You have to learn how to care better. And that brings us to this amazing, amazing Pauline language in verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, which was kind of a coarse term for, you know, kind of like more Northern European types that were mingling with the empire, that's us. <laughs> Most of us were barbarians. Uh, Scythians, which are just like kind of similar, like a people group that are pretty far away. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I think this is one of the most radical claims in this new covenant community that's called the church. That these groups of people dramatically, dramatically and radically treat one another differently than we did when we were in the world. <clears throat> because when we were in the world, Jews and Gentiles, enmity. Look at Israel. Look at what's happening today. Palestine, Israel, bang. This is what happens in the world. Circumcised, uncircumcised. This is what happens in the world. Look at the, the, the strife between barbarians and civilized people, between slave people and between free people. The way the world works is to keep us divided, to keep us dehumanizing the people that are on the other side. I wonder if today, if we could rewrite this, it would say, here there are no Republicans or Democrats. Here there is no left or right. Here there, there is no boomer generation and millennials and Gen Z and whatever. You know, 
And it's, it's not that Paul means those things don't exist. He means they're no longer categories for how we value people. Because those labels that we have so often are the very thing that enables us to dehumanize the other person so we can build ourselves up. It's lust, essentially. I, gosh, I do it all the time, right? So do you. The other side. Oh, those freaking leftists. Oh, they're the worst. Oh my gosh, those Trump supporters, they're terrible. And we dehumanize, we, it's lust. We feed off our vitriol for the other side, those other people, because they're not doing it right and we are. And we consume them for our own betterment. But when we enter into the kingdom, when we learn to see people the way that God sees them, we go, oh, oh my gosh, what a beautiful reflection of the image of God. What a beautiful child of God that is. Now, maybe we don't agree. And it's not that those things don't matter. They do tremendously. But it's no longer the criteria by which we judge other people. And what Paul is really saying here is that these vices tear communities apart. These are the kinds of sins that tear us apart in the way that we relate to one another. They cause all of these little fractures through the community. And that's what he really cares about. It's not about just behaving yourself so you can go to heaven when you die. He's saying, no, there's very real world consequences for when we forget who we truly are. We do not see people for who they truly are. And then we act accordingly. It breaks us apart. And the the powerful vision that he has for the church is we stand alone as this colony of heaven to demonstrate this is what it looks like when Christ is king over creation, that all these people that are infighting and all this are rescued into this strange thing called the church and are transformed by their experiences there where they begin to live a radically different way of being a human being. And so these heavenly qualities that we seek to possess, they do away with tribalism and violence. They bind us together as the new people of God. And that gives us that list in 12. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. These virtues are the character of God. You want to know what God looks like? He looks like that. He, he demonstrates all of those things in their fullness. You know, you and I, like at varying degrees, we're loving, but God is love. We have days where we're kind, but God is kindness. And this is what God is like, and therefore... This is what our most authentic and true selves are if we are in Christ. We can think of that, the vices as that's the false self. That's the thing that you've had to put off, as Paul says. It's not true to who you really are now because your nature has changed. Because virtue is freedom from self-righteousness, from self-consciousness, from it being all about me. Because when you are properly formed, you won't be thinking about yourself at all. You think about how God loves you, and then you think about how to love other people well. And it doesn't mean that you ignore yourself. You're just not so self-consumed. And that's what so often happens when we're on this holiness crusade. 
is it just becomes, it's still about me and it's about my self-righteousness and I'm behaving and I'm following the rules and I've figured out what all these things mean and here's the lines here. And we're still super selfish people. Like maybe we're really religious, but we're still pretty darn selfish. And if we're honest, I think in this era, perhaps more than any other, I'm not sure, the rules are crushing us and they're not actually forming our character. We're trying to behave and even I mentioned it last, last week, I don't think this is a phenomenon within the Christian household. I think this is American culture in general, left, right, and center. We're actually in a hyper-moral era. It's not that we've lost morality and culture. There are so many morals that we're vicious and we're destru- destroying other people according to our sense of morality. And what we need is what Paul is saying here, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the missing ingredient. That's the secret sauce. That's the 23 flavors in Dr. Pepper whatever they are. Fruit. I think fruit, it's supposed to be fruity. There was research done several years ago uh, with London taxi cab drivers. And they're they're a a very interesting group of people who have this preternatural ability to know how to get you from point A to point B without using GPS. How many of you are like addicted to your GPS? Like you can't get anywhere. Like you don't even know where you live in Orlando. You know what I mean? You're like, I think I'm east. I don't know. I know where the mouse is, and that's about it. So these taxi cab drivers, like, you know, London is a massive city, and it's a very, very old city, so it's not gridded like a lot of Orlando is. It's like kind of bananas all over the place. And the research they did was they actually found that these London taxi cab drivers, their medulla oblongata, which is like the, the piece of your brain back here, your brain stem, was actually enlarged. Like it's actually physiologically different than the average human being because they had trained themselves over time to memorize the entire map of London. And it was this evolutionary leap that ironically in the era of Uber and Google Maps and everything were devolving <laughs> Because it's taking away from us this this way of being formed and being shaped, and we're making it about some external thing that's just telling us what to do. And I think that's what's happening sometimes within the Christian household, is rather than being shaped and formed and our, our spiritual minds and our spiritual hearts being enlarged because we're entering into the process, we're suffering for lesser things. We're looking for that spiritual Google Maps that'll just tell us what to do, tell us how to get from A to B so that I don't have to think. And so what happens so often when we're confronted with all of the rules is either we respond with this romantic spontaneity of like, I, get, I can be free to do what I want now because of Christ, but that doesn't have any real authenticity in it. Or we'll say, I get to be true to myself, but what do you mean when you say self? And we enter into these places that don't really have firm answers, but then when we find to say, ah, we have been raised in Christ. We know who we are because we know who he is. We have a trajectory. We know who we are becoming because we know the character of God. It begins to do something in us today. And Holy Spirit transformation doesn't happen automatically. It's not like one and done, like you were saved and now you're good and all of a sudden you're just gonna make the best decisions ever. You're still learning the language of your new country. And it doesn't happen mechanically. You can't just go to a weekend retreat or do a course or whatever and then it's just happening. And T. Wright talks about it like this. There's a difference between a Christmas tree and an apple tree. A Christmas tree, you just kind of put lots of dressing on the outside and make it look pretty. And it's, it is. It's really pretty for you know, a month or two or for some of you, seven months. But it's not real. 
What happens with an apple tree? You have to cultivate it. You have to tend to the soil. You have to make sure that it's getting enough sunlight. You have to trim it. You know, that first year, you're not gonna get any fruit from it. That second year, you're not gonna get any fruit. The next year, you're gonna get a little, but it's not the best. And you keep working at it over time until you get a beautiful harvest. That's what virtue is like. And this used to frustrate me so much about Paul, but now I kind of love it. Paul doesn't define what any of these words mean. Like he gives us some hints, like when he talks about sexual immorality, you can go over to Corinthians and go, hey, how about, you know, you don't sleep with your mom. Okay, that seems, okay, that's a good one. Like let's, let's follow through on that. You know, he goes, hey, how about you don't like, you know, sleep with your neighbor's wife. Okay, that's good. You know, like that's immoral, sexual immorality. But he doesn't really define what a lot of these words mean. And I kind of love that. Because he's saying, hey, you gots to do the work. Figure it out. You have the spirit of Jesus within you. And as you learn the language of the spirit, as you develop intimacy with Jesus, you will work out what we mean when we say these words. And you do it within community. As we open our lives to one another, we're trying to figure out what are we really talking about? That if it's not about the surface dressing of rules and regulations and do not touch and do not taste, what's it actually about? So we've got to do the work, but it's so worth it over time to see the character of God, the character of Jesus becomes a little bit more natural to us than the day before. And then we enter into our old age and it's like breathing. And I know you've met that person. You've met that OG Christian, which is like the spirit of Jesus just radiates from them so naturally. And you're like, I want to be like that. And that's our true goal. So what do we do? How do we do this? How do we open ourselves up to allow the spirit of Jesus to do something within us? Well, prayer is a really, really important bit of that. So I'm gonna lead us through a prayer that I've written. Basically just, I've turned this scripture into prayer. It's one of my favorite things to do. You take a piece of scripture and you go, oh, that's nice. And then you actually pray that scripture. I think this is a very important skill for us to learn. And so there's gonna be kind of three parts. We're gonna begin with gratitude. I think it's always important to start prayer in thankfulness because that gives us that firm foundation of like, oh yeah, this is who God is. Oh yeah, this is what God's already done. Okay, now when I come to confession and I'm admitting my vices and my shortcomings and my sins, it's not out of a place of anxiety because I remember who God is and going, oh yeah, he welcomes me home every day. And then we're going to pray after we confess, we're gonna ask God to give us new insight into that character, the virtue that he's crafting within us. So we're gonna, what'll happen is we're gonna pray a piece together and then you can see in italics on the bottom, I'm gonna leave some space for you just to pray out of your own heart and to see where the Lord leads you, okay? So let us pray. Together we say this, Almighty Father, thank you that we have been raised with Christ. Teach us to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Teach us to also set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. For we have died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. So offer gratitude to God for who you are in Christ.
that out of that place of gratitude, let us confess our sins and together. We confess that we have sinned against you and one another in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Help us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. Teach us to rid ourselves of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander. So spend some time just confessing to God any of these vices that you feel have a hold on you where you're at in your story right now. finally supplication we've emptied ourselves you know we've, we've laid this foundation of gratitude we've confessed our sins so we're laying those things at the feet of Jesus and now we're asking him to offer us something because he's good and Jesus himself says like you know if you're capable of giving these things to your own kids don't you think that your father in heaven knows what you need but you just have to ask so together therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. We clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Teach us to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of us has a grievance against someone. Help us to forgive as the Lord forgave us. And over all these virtues, may we put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So just take a moment and ask the Lord to help you grow in any of those areas that you feel like you're lacking right now. Jesus, we do thank you that we have already died and we've already been raised to life in you. You are our life. You are our life. But Jesus, we also recognize that there's still plenty of work to do. Teach us how to be citizens of your kingdom because we don't always get it right. We stumble. 
we fall, we make mistakes. We try to run back to the slavery of rules and regulations instead of following you, of learning the language of your Holy Spirit working within us. Teach us how to be virtuous people that more and more day by day, we naturally radiate your character to the world around us and begin to speak a different story of what it truly means to be a human being in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we give you permission now in this space to move in us and through us. Do the work that you want to do in this space so that none of us leave without a little bit of transformation. We pray all of these things in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.